Hi, everyone. From Impact Alpha Media, this is Returns on Investment, a show about the impact investing marketplace. Live on tape from New York, I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the financial technology company Liquinet. With me here in New York is Imogen Rose Smith, who's a senior writer with Institutional Investor Magazine. Hi, Imogen. Hi, Brian. And joining us from the San Francisco Bay Area by the magic of podcasting technology is David Bank, who's editor-in-chief of Impact Alpha. Hi, David. Hi, Brian and Imogen. On today's show, we're going to talk about how impact investing might respond to the rise of forces hostile to globalization, such as Brexit and Trump. Does impact investing represent a response to the real concerns raised by these forces, or is it just lipstick on a pig? Imogen, as our resident Brit, in the wake of Brexit earlier this summer, what do you think? So as, as our very sad resident Brit, because I have to say, obviously, Brexit was a huge shock and disappointment to many people. And, you know, I think that it is very clear that what a lot of the voters who voted for Brexit were responding to is this profound sense of alienation that people are feeling, particularly in sort of, what do you want to call that, the sort of lower middle classes, as a result of globalization. And that, you know, in the UK in particular, they were feeling threatened over things like immigration, pressure being put on the welfare state, particularly the National Health Service, and that, you know, getting out of Europe and sort of the isolationist reaction was the best way to go. You know, in terms of impact, you know, you can look at the history of impact investing and you can say that sort of the UK was really important in the beginning of the modern impact investing movement, um, particularly with the efforts of sort of Sir Ronald Cohen and sort of the, the governments that supported the impact movement, both under Tony Blair, Gordon Brown, David Cameron. And arguably, in that respect, you could say impact has failed. Like if impact has not succeeded in helping Britain get to the point where it wanted to stay in the UK, then, sorry, in the EU, then a lot of what it is hoping to achieve is not being achieved. Now, the question of whether or not sort of this crisis can lead to greater success is, you know, a valid one, but, but clearly it is not doing the job that it was hoping to do right now or Brexit wouldn't have happened. So, David, Brexit is a response to the anxiety that, that voters felt over dislocation and globalization and immigration, which is similar to what we see with the, the rise of Trumpism. Uh, how, how do you think that th- this force is playing out in, in the U.S.? Yeah, I agree with Imogen. It's a make or break moment for, for impact investing to be able to really articulate a, a, a different alternative than either this you know n- nativist or isolationist or xenophobic nationalist, whatever you want to call it, uh, alternative that both Trump represents and that Brexit represented, or this kind of naked globalization that, you know, is the only other thing on offer. And really, you know, if impact investing is worth its salt, it should be able to say that there's an inclusive, sustainable, prosperous future that works for domestic constituencies that are threatened by, you know, job loss, by by uh, cutbacks in services of various sorts, and and that really does have a pro-growth, pro-inclusion, you know, wage growth, job growth, uh, along with obviously all the good things we want in terms of you know green, sustainable, um, you know, you know, bringing up people out of poverty all around the world. 
And I think, you know, can we articulate that way of moving forward? So it, what, what both Brexit and Trumpism uh, represent is in some ways uh, a fear, fear of the other, fear of the immigrant, fear of terror, fear of decline, uh, what have you. Uh, does impact investing represent a credible response to that fear? Imogen? I think the problem that impact investing has in part is that it is both about investing and therefore about capitalism and also about philanthropy, right? So, so built into the DNA of impact investing is this belief that, you know, capitalism might be the worst system that we've got, but it's better than everything else we've tried and that somehow capital market solutions are the best solutions out there. So if you don't believe that, if you somehow feel alienated by the market system, then impact investing doesn't really speak to that, or at least it doesn't seem to speak to that. So in effect, the same forces that have resulted in the alienation of certain pockets of the population are the same forces that have created impact investing. And the flip side of this is, is that the people that impact investing tends to target tend to be particularly in the US, less so maybe in Europe, but they tend to often be those on the extreme margins. And so those are not the people who are being, who, who, are, who are the Trump voters, right? So it's not because it is, in part because it is a choice, because it is philanthropy a lot of the time, it is driven to the most extremes, the people who need the greatest help, because those are where the greatest benefits are going to come. But as a result, it doesn't tackle that profound alienation in the lower middle classes. So in some ways it can exacerbate it, right? Because those people don't feel like they're being helped. So David, you were in Lisbon recently for a gathering of uh, a bunch of leaders uh, from around the world who are committed to advancing uh, impact investing. Uh, what, how are they reacting to, to the, the news that's been rolling out this summer? Well, this meeting was a meeting of the national committees, in effect, that are trying to promote impact investing around the world. And it's really the brainchild of Sir Ronald Cohn that Imogen mentioned, who's spearheaded under the auspices of David Cameron, this uh, global steering group around impact investing. And they were aghast, frankly, at, at, at Brexit, but they tried to take up this question of how could impact investing represent an alternative. There was, was an interesting distinction I noticed, which is the European flavor of impact investing focuses much more on shoring up welfare state and government spending. It, it's very focused on, for example, social impact bonds that can pr pay for social services in a way that takes the burden off of government. Uh, whereas in the U.S., impact investing discussion is much more around kind of investment opportunities for for investors who want to have, you know, a positive social impact out of their investments along with a financial return. The, the you know for example there was a question a big discussion was what are the opportunities to address the immigration crisis the migration crisis in Europe there's a very small social impact bond in Finland of all places that's uh, financed by investors to pay for integration of migrants into the education system into the health system and other things uh, and that you know, is, is tiny in the scheme of things, but it's an example of ways that you might be able to reap some value out of out of positive kind of social services 
uh, that that reduce the burden of, of of immigration. That might be able to a way to address some of the uh, anxieties about about immigration. Uh, but if if you say that the the U, the European approach to impact is much more government services centric, then how is that uh, in relation to the American approach to impact investing? Is it more uh, investor led and investor driven? The U.S. approach is basically as a way, you know, as a sort of almost a wealth management or, you know, portfolio theory sort of approach, you know, that you can have investments in bonds or in, in equity or, you know, in, in, in private equity or, or different different asset classes and get positive social impact. It's not so much seen as a way to backstop. Uh, uh, government. It might be seen as, in some cases as a way to catalyze more capital for what are true philanthropic purposes, but it's really almost investor-led. Whereas in the in Europe, and I think this is a function of you know sort of the history of of the two places, it's more of a, a almost government-led. I've always thought that that was one of the reasons why social finance bonds in the U.S. have been slower to develop, precisely because in Europe you have a welfare state. And so there is a huge vested interest in government trying to address these problems. And there is a, a, a direct burden that needs to be tackled. And in the US, it is much more fragmented. I think right there, the, even the language where you say it's the burden that has to be tackled, I, I, I would think that in the US, they see it as not a burden, but an opportunity. And that's what you know, the investor class would say, that uh, we see these challenges uh, you know, throughout society and throughout the environment, and we see them as market opportunities uh, too. Maybe so, but you also, I mean, a lot of impact in the U.S. is philanthropy-led, right? It's the big not-for-profits, and for them it's just another turn of the wheel in terms of how they express their philanthropy, and then that comes with a whole other host of baggage and ideas. So, I mean, I think to, to answer the question, all of these tools have to come together and all of these groups have to come together to tackle these global problems. The, the, the challenge is, you know, can, who can step up and can we do it in scale and in sufficient time to, to combat these very frightening and very real issues? Let me lay out a theory for you guys and tell me what you think. You know, it's not just Brexit. There's, you know, negative interest rates around the world. There's very slow growth, if, if, if not no growth at all, in sort of aggregate demand in the economy. You know, this is the reason at the macro level why, you know, wages aren't growing and everything is, is, is stalled. Now, if you think about what the world needs, it's a kind of massive reboot of all kinds of systems, of the energy systems, of water systems, agriculture systems, health, education. Those are massive opportunities for, for growth, investment, productivity increases. You know, you could set off the greatest uh, round of prosperity the, the world has ever seen um, and, and put all this spare capital to work uh, and raise, you know, incomes around the world. That is really the impact project. And, and that, that's the problem you get into of the people leading the, you're talking about huge amounts of capital, institutional dollars, government dollars, into large projects at scale. That's not your little finished social impact bond, right? So Absolutely. then the question becomes, are the people leading the impact conversation having the wrong conversation? Do we need to 
be focused on galvanizing large amounts of capital to achieve big change instead? Well, I, I don't think that impact investing and in, in the impact investment uh, movement such as it is uh, can be ignorant and blind to politics and the reactions people have to this. So you see uh, the globalization of the past 30 or 40 years has risen uh, billions of people out of poverty uh, by fostering economic growth, especially in China and India and, and other uh, emerging markets. And at the same time, you've seen uh, wages uh, stagnate in developed countries, um, not necessarily slip, but in some cases slip. But you, 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 you get a sense that there are the, the middle and working classes in industrialized societies feel, those people feel like they've been left behind. Uh, by these forces of globalization. There are uh, objectively uh, more people in an absolute sense are doing uh, a lot better from a material standpoint, but there are losers from this globalization uh, and people that are either losers in the absolute sense or they feel that they've lost some sense of uh, position or identity or prestige. And they are voters, and they are voters in the U.S., and they are voters uh, in the U.K., and they are voters uh, across Europe and, 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 and other industrialized societies. And they uh, perhaps don't uh, respond well to these, uh, you know, the, the, these forces of, of, you know, encouraging globalization and, and uh, celebrating uh, the rise of workers around the world, and they see that as a cost. They see it as a zero-sum cost. And the problem is, is that ultimately impact believes in that, right? Like in impact ultimately believes in celebrating the rise of workers around the world. It ultimately believes in the good vision of globalization. And it, that, like part of impact therefore has to recognize that there are going to be losers, and it's not the, the point, the responsibility of impact to rescue everyone. So in that regard, sort of impact is very clearly on the side of globalization, and there also, you know, there has to be a recognition that impact investing isn't the fix all to everything, and that there are other forces that need to come into play and other conversations that need to happen. In some ways, the question is like, what is where should impact be focusing its resources and its its firepower? But is there also an opportunity domestically in the UK, in the US, for applying some of these ideas around social enterprise, around worker empowerment, worker inclusion, driving more income down to people at lower income levels, so to increase demand? Those are kinds of impact investments that are not having to do with poor people in Africa or, 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 or South Asia, but have to do with creating vibrant social small businesses in the US and the UK. We're doing it. I mean, there are some great examples of this happening in the UK, like really good social venture movements that are focusing on like low income groups having a great impact. The problem is that it's not enough. And the problem is also the political rhetoric, right? It, that again, it's not necessarily the fault of the impact community, the broader political discourse. And it can't necessarily be the tail that wags the dog, right? So it's not that those programs don't exist. It's not that those projects don't happen. Don't happen, but they're not necessarily helping the village in Wales that, despite having no immigrants whatsoever and despite getting huge amounts of subsidies from the EU, is somehow terrified that Europe is the problem. Right? Those are the groups that aren't being helped, and it's not the responsibility of impact alone to reach them. It's the, it's the responsibility of governments. It's the responsibility of individuals. It's the responsibility of all of us. 
Well, I agree with you about the responsibility, but I'm just saying if there were jobs being created, wages going up, and general prosperity in even in, in remote areas of the U.S. and the U.K., then the impulse to vote for Brexit and the impulse to, to lash out in other ways would, would be reduced. But the point of globalization, right, is that that doesn't happen, that it is uneven that there are people who are left behind and there are people who are left out or maybe they aren't even left behind but they just feel like they are the process of othering they feel like they're not doing as well right so david do you think that uh that for impact investing to really great gain strength as a movement it needs to be uh seen as and not only seen as but it be in actuality not just an elite led or an elite driven movement but something that has real buy-in from people uh from uh, across society I mean, I'm just taken by this sort of macro notion that the greatest growth strategy we could get on as a country, I guess as a, as a world, is to have more spending power in the hands of lower income people. And that that would lift all boats, including rich people, would make more money. But certainly poor people would have a feeling that their lives were getting better and, and their finances were getting easier. And that could be broadly construed as an impact investing proposition and that all these financing mechanisms and business incubators and accelerators and technology innovation and sustainable agriculture and premium organic premium food those are all kind of opportunities for people to start building businesses that that actually make them some money all right well that's that's a great point to leave on uh that's going to do it for this episode of returns on investment thank you imogen thank you Thank you, David. Thank you, guys. If you like the show, please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts these days. And be sure to leave us a rating and a comment because it helps other people discover the show. You can also send us an email with any comments or suggestions you have because we love hearing from you. That's really true. Isn't that right, Imogen? It is. Uh, you can reach us at info at impactalpha.com. And for more on the Impact Investing Marketplace, Follow Impact Alpha on Twitter at Impact Alpha and visit us at impactalpha.com. Be sure to sign up for the newsletter there to keep in touch with Impact Alpha. Special thanks, as always, to our technical producer and resident millennial, Isaac Silk. Thank you, Isaac. In New York, I'm Brian Walsh. On behalf of David Bank and Imogen Rose Smith, thanks for listening to Returns on Investment. We look forward to talking again soon.